happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 299. Whoa! On July 23rd, no, July 26th. Man, I can't even get the date right. July 26th. Uh, 2023. My name is Jason Neifer. I'm the executive director of the Montana Digital Academy, the state virtual school located on the beautiful University of Montana campus right here in Missoula, Montana. And it's been a while, Wes, but joining me as always, good evening, Dr. Wes Fryer. How are you tonight, sir? I am great, and I am so glad to be here again. And sorry that, uh, you know, I was I was to blame for not um, having our show last week as we were supposed to. So it's been a good... Uh, a few weeks of vacation for I think both of us. So uh, there's there's probably just a few things that have happened in the news in the last yeah. month. So, well, summarize. So this was a highlight. Went to the beach, uh, Edisto Beach, South Carolina. I got to be there with my dad and uh, our uh, family. Uh, not everybody, but quite a few folks. And uh, man, very tranquil. There's actually not great water there, so they can't have any high rise hotels. So. Um, there are no hotels in Edisto Beach. There's just like houses that are for rent or whatever. So it's very laid back and and very good. So nice. what would you, what would you identify as a highlight of your uh, excursions the past few weeks? Um, well, um, I was in Europe uh, uh, in late June to early July. Uh, we had the opportunity to go to the Midsummer Festival in Sweden. Um, in uh, late June, and it was wonderful. We have what basically I feel like as family at this point there, but close family friends of my wife's family that we've, uh, uh, when I exchanged student five years ago, uh, that was uh, the family that the kiddo came from, and it was a wonderful experience and uh, great to be there for, for that particular cultural festival. And then we spent a week and a half in Berlin, which was a wonderful town, amazing public transportation system, easy to uh, uh, get any, really anywhere in town on public transportation uh, with an app. So it, it was really wonderful and glad to be back. Um, but the trip was, was pretty great and I didn't get COVID. So that's, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a, a good thing for me for sure. Absolutely. And are you guys, uh, facing heat waves and uh, lots of Canadian smoke or what's up with that? Oh one? yeah. We, we, the smoke has not been too bad, although there are some fires in Montana now and in Idaho that may blow up into a smoke situation. Um, I'm just looking outside right now. There looks maybe a little a little gray. So there could be a little bit of smoke in the air, but the heat's been pretty intense. So it's not Phoenix, Arizona heat, right? So we're not talking about um, um, uh, anything along those lines. But what I would say is that um, while I was in Great Falls uh, uh, over the weekend, hanging out with my parents and it was uh, in the uh, upper nineties, lower one hundreds on Saturday, Sunday and Monday. And then I've been in Helen the last couple of days, uh, hanging out with other Montana school administrators, and it was in the mid-80s. So we're thankful that it's only 82 right now in Missoula. Just looking at the weather, it looks like we're going to be in the um, mid-80s and lower 90s for the next week. And that is warm. I don't want to make it sound like that that's not warm, but uh, we've had plenty of times recently where we were in the hundreds for several days. So I'll, I'll, take, I'll take 82 over 102 anytime. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, hey, it's been a while. Uh, and I will also uh, fess up that I realized uh, getting back in the saddle today that, uh, yeah, we're still a few few episodes behind. But thankfully, everything's always live right away on Facebook and YouTube. What yep. are people going to experience tonight? Well, um, we got a lot to talk about in regards to AI. And uh, as I'm sure that, that no one's surprised that listens to our podcast, I've given... One, two, three, four presentations on AI in the last uh, four weeks, and we'll be doing um, another couple later this month, or I'm sorry, later in in, in August. Um, it's a, a hot topic, and uh, there are lots of interesting things going on there. Um, we have other articles on ISTE, and uh, since we haven't had a chance to talk about that yet, uh, there's some Wakelet news that I think there's a broader thing to pull from, uh, some security news, some Google news, some... 
uh, social media trends that that are happening. And then, of course, there's social media drama like crazy uh, that I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this, uh, Dr. Fryer. And then some media literacy. And then we have our Geeks of the Week. And for the first time, I have multiples to share. That's usually not my phenomenon. That's more of a Dr. Fryer thing. Um, but uh, I have some multiples to share this week. So, um, uh, Dr. Fryer, where would you like us to start tonight? Oh, well, let's start with social media. So uh, Twitter is now X. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know, is it going to make a difference? Um, I don't think this is, you know, as significant as replatforming, um, you know, some of the some of the folks that have been replatformed and some of the harassment, and things like that that have gone on. But evidently, this is uh, NPR on July 24th. Twitter replaces its bird logo with an X as part of Elon's Musk's plan for a super app, and it tells the the background. I've heard this before. You know, the, there's a Model X for Tesla, but for whatever reason, he's just been fascinated with this um, idea of X and owns X.com. I guess if you go to X.com right now, Jason, uh, you will be redirected to Twitter. So there you go, a faster way to to get to the bird site. Um, but his dream is to have a Uber app, kind of like. Um, uh, is it WhatsApp uh, in, yeah. in China where, you know, people use it to do all their e-commerce, they video chat. Uh, it's sort of like the everything app. Um, and so, you know, it remains to be seen whether folks are going to trust uh, Elon to attach their money and their financial, um, you know, uh, exchange uh, exchanges or, or financial life to it. But anyway, not a huge thing, but uh, there's just some, Anyway, continued, continued. There's more exciting things, I think, going on. You've got an article about some of the alternatives to. Yeah, Twitter, I so. mean, what I would say is that I thought this was a joke the first time I saw it. So um, and there was references to it on Twitter before it happened. And then it actually happened. And the two the two things I would mention is that I think X is actually three things I'd mention. I think X is problematic branding uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, the first one is that it's owned by a lot of, of other companies and from a, a patent and a trademark standpoint. For example, apparently X is owned in context of social media by Meta. So Mark Zuckerberg owns that mark. Um, and then uh, Microsoft owns another X mark and that might be related to the X box, right? And I'm sure that, that Mr. Musk owns some X uh, 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 trademarks as well but I can't imagine they're in context of social media, right? So um, I understand wanting to become an everything app. And, and I also get that the guy's probably desperate because he took a, you know, a 40 gazillion dollar uh, uh, company and it's, it's worth much less than that now, according uh, to a lot of experts. And he, I would imagine, doesn't want to lose that money. I just don't know how much patience that is going to happen uh, by by its users and um you know that relates to our second article that we'll share tonight but um i just don't know how much patience there is for that and then you know x is associated with adult entertainment i mean that's that's the bottom line um i i had a a, a, a kind of an old friend that i've been following social media and she had said that the x branding looks like a 1980s gentleman's club logo and I have to say, that's not that far off. Um, and then also, um, I've also seen memes going around that uh, if you open up a bunch of adult entertainment sites, their, um, their icon that, that is in the, the browser tab is an X, right? And so you can open up several of those and then also Twitter.com and, uh, you know, it looks like just one, one of the gang, right? And... I, I, that's silly and, and it probably doesn't factor into it all that much, but it factors into it some. And I just, I just don't understand these actions that, that he's taking. And so, um, you know, I don't, I've never started a successful startup, so I don't know what that looks like. And I know that, um, I have read articles about, you know, like his mass layoffs and that other tech companies have modeled some of that because they feel like that there's too much middle management in a lot of big tech which I could also understand that too being problematic, but um, I just, the education discussion is waning on X, I guess what we call it now. Um, I, I feel like that there's no immediately obvious place to go. Right. Um, and we'll talk about uh, threads here in a second, but um, 
that it, there just doesn't seem to be, um, you know, an obvious place for people to to move to where, a, you know, predominance of the people that would have been on education Twitter have gone to. And and it's not Mastodon. I mean, I like Mastodon, but it's not Mastodon. Um, so, yeah, I just think this whole thing is is kind, kind of weird. We live in a fractured media and information landscape, and we may not have the same dynamics that led to the ascendancy of Twitter and, and, uh, and Facebook. We have network effects and things yeah. like that happening. So you want to talk about threads? Yeah. So um, a couple weeks back, uh, the, the good folks over at Facebook released threads, which is a... I don't really know how to describe it other than say it's, I mean, it's obviously a Twitter knockoff. It's a Twitter clone. Yeah. But it's hooked to Instagram, which is what I find to be a little problematic about it. But um, I guess uh, you want to start with your initial observations about threads where we kind of are posting the two of us. Sure. Sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I think I'm using nine different social media platforms currently. Um, I did a little video a couple of weeks ago, kind of talking about how to, what, where I'm, where I share, how I share, and also how to make a multi-part threaded post. The thing that impressed me about threads is that it was really pretty quick. It was easy to get to following folks that we're interested in um, because of the Instagram connection. Um, if you're going to de delete your threads account, I guess you end up actually now have to delete your, unless they've changed this, which they may have, but early on you had to delete your, uh, your Instagram account. And it's interesting because, you know, my Twitter account's not been equal to my Instagram account, to Facebook, et cetera, you know, somewhat different constituencies, but I've been impressed with how quickly, um, you know, we're able to, to connect and follow people. Cause that has been a lot. It is a lot more work on other platforms, uh, not only Mastodon, but also, um, blue sky. And then I'm also on this, uh, K 12 leaders comp, uh, network. So what were, what's been your initial impressions? I haven't gotten huge traction, but I, I mean, it just, it seemed, it seemed easier to onboard and there wasn't, there, there isn't the complaints like people have had, for instance, about yeah. Mastodon, Mastodon yeah. being, being too geeky. They, they made yeah. it pretty smooth. And my, my understanding, too, is that at some point you'll be able to access Mastodon servers via threads. And so this might be the great unifier, right? Like the, the, the nerdles over on Mastodon stay there or the people that want to control their data more stay there. And we can access them via threads. And so it, it has a, a more mainstream appeal. That could be a really interesting thing, too. But um, my biggest criticism, I think the platform is just fine. I think it's 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 stable, it's simple, which is I think one of the reasons why a lot of people are comparing it to early Twitter because early Twitter was a lot more simplistic, um, which I miss a little bit. Like I don't really want an everything app. I want Twitter when I'm on Twitter, right? Um, and uh, and I never really got into any of the um, you know the uh, the vines, for example, was never my thing. Um, and the chat spaces was never really my thing. And so I'm kind of into Twitter, Twitter, um, uh, from that standpoint. But the only thing I don't like is that it's connected to your Instagram account and Instagram's not a professional place for me. Instagram is a personal place and I do have it open. Um, and you can go, you can, you can follow me on Instagram as a, as a personal individual, but the bottom line for me is that I just don't, um, um, I, I just don't want those worlds colliding, right? And um, I, I follow, I follow. I mean, some some tech folk um, on on Twitter, on Instagram, but it's tech folk I know, right? Like it's tech folk I have a relationship with, and that's just I, I just don't like that crossover piece. And I'm also not entirely sure. Like I keep getting these notifications from Threads that someone has joined, uh, joined, or I'm now following someone who just joined Threads. It's like I never asked you to do that. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. So and it's you know it's people I follow on Instagram, right? And so mm -hmm. I don't so know making, what I said, make, yeah, you know, making set up, but that's weird. There is not a web browser version of Threads at this point. It's right. app only, which is interesting. Um, there are no lists. And lists, and we've talked about this before on the show for Twitter, are absolutely one of my most important ways to filter my feed and selectively consume content. Um, I think probably there's a bunch of folks that just are in their home feed, but I rarely use the home feed on, on Twitter. Uh, and so that's a significant drawback. I will say that um, I think Eric Kurtz has been doing a lot with threads to try to 
get educators connected with a with a list. He has a Google form. I am I'll I can put a, a link to his post about that. And then um, over on um, Blue Sky, Alice Keeler is doing a great job. And the hashtag EduSky is the hashtag that she recommends using and a bunch of folks are using. And so again, it takes time and an investment to build up uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, folks that you follow and organizations that you follow. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time with that on Mastodon initially so that Mastodon has a lot of value for me. And because I, again, use my lists, I use my journalism list, my news list, my media literacy list, um, can't do lists on blue sky, can't do it on threads, uh, can't do it in K-12 leaders. So it, uh, it's kind of a confusing time. And I think, you know, if you're an early adopter, you're probably less frustrated with this than others. Um, I remember when we've mentioned, talked about this maybe on the show when, when Google plus came out, I was like, Oh, great. You know, another social network to, to track and, and, and post to. So uh, I just, we don't know who the winners are going to be here. And um, I, I think though that it, it behooves us to, you know, at least put our feet in the water with these other platforms and, consider how well number one i mean i've been doing this now for a couple years but you know using westfriar.com slash after <laughs> makes so much more sense now because no. like i just don't know that i'm going to be on twitter in a year um and so anyway it's a it, it, it is confusing but i think i'm i'm you know like a lot of folks, I'm resistant to the idea of Mark Zuckerberg and Meta slash Facebook, you know, having more dominance and control over the social media landscape than than they do already. I wish that antitrust regulators had prevented the merge with Instagram. And, um, you know, I, I but but at the same time, I, th I think it's positive to see an alternative to Twitter that is microblogging. So anyway, we might talk more lo longer about that than anticipated because we got a lot of AI and other stuff to talk about. But Probably about a bunch of folks that listen to our show are navigating those same waters. So, yeah. are you yeah. any any um, have you? Are, so, are you mainly living in Threads now when, when it comes to social media, or what's your what's no, your normal? I'm I'm Instagram one, um, probably Twitter two, uh, Facebook three, Threads four. But I don't have I don't have Facebook installed as an app on any device. So I have to go to it on the web to do it. And so I probably check it once a day. Um, Twitter is interesting because I do feel like that the AI discussion there has been really rich. And so that's what's kind of dominating my mind right now for better or for worse. And I think that's a real problem that we need to um, um, that we need to be thinking about. LinkedIn is being used by a number of folks now. You know, Dean Shiresky, uh, David Truss, uh, Will Richardson. And, and then there's a crossover with other people that I just haven't been engaged with because I've had an account on LinkedIn because that's like a professional resume seeming requirement. But I uh, am actually, you know, finding articles, reading articles, and then having some interaction with people there too. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, it's all over the place. Um, but I think that it's, um, it's, it will be good, hopefully, if, um, you know, the ugliness that has that has characterized Twitter um, is either minimized by the fact that people leave the platform or um, the platform dies or something else. Hey, I almost set something on fire at the beginning of this show. Um, I have this lovely um, actual <laughs> T-shirt that I have cut that I have over these lights. And anyway, I at one point I had put extra lights that are not LED lights. It's just warning folks regular analog lights are not the same as led because i have this thing sitting here they're nice and cool and these other bulbs like literally were setting this on fire before the <laughs> i was i was seeing smoke rise from the start so anyway that's a complete squirrel never happened before on the show thankfully folks we have no fire yeah here well and I, I thought you were talking about like controversy fire and I was no like, well, i'm talking about actual flames. fire so actual fires actual we are fires. multimedia here at the okay. situation room okay right. i know we want to get to ai but actually would you mind covering the isti article because i did not see that and that yes an well headline. and i i if anything else i think this can springboard us uh as a um um 
uh, into a, a, a conversation about ISTE. And um, this is, a, it's, a, it's a pod, well, podcast-ish from uh, Dr. Carrie Stubbs, who's the Senior Vice President of Business Development and, st and Stages Learning and former ISTE board member, talks about the show. And, um, um, and it's, it's predictable um, that, you know, it's, it's a pretty positive note about ISTE. And I will tell you that I didn't attend ISTE this year. In fact, I'm, I'm trying to remember the last time I did attend ISTE. I'm 99% sure it was 2019. I, and I did uh, attend all the virtual ISTEs too. Um, but, um, and I know that, that Wes, I think you and I have been at the same one maybe twice, um, for sure once, but maybe twice. And it, it, it's, it's an extraordinary event. And I, I, I feel like I miss out on things when I'm not there, but I think the size of it is still kind of a, a concern. And what I also know is that it's incredibly, incredibly difficult to run a big comprehensive conference when you have to go to a large city, there's only a, a handful of uh, convention centers in the United States that can handle the size of ISTE. I know a lot of people hate the commercial aspect of ISTE, but without that, ISTE would not be, I mean, it would be triple the price. I, I have no doubt. And I've heard that number in the past and said, really? No, I, I know that to be true, right? And I know that in part because I've been part of other conference uh, uh, setups and it is it is enormously pricey uh, when, when you can't involve... Um, a sponsor uh, and, and, and a vendor for. But I also think too, that there's clearly, I, I think there's clearly a weird uh, a situation there. Uh, a lot of teachers could never afford to go to ISTE. Even a lot of folks that um, are prominent voices in this, a lot of them end up finding a sponsor that will send them there, but then they have to do work on the floor. I wish there was a little more disclosure about that because I do feel like that a lot of folks there are, are basically presenting um, uh, uh, infomercials and are not disclosing. And I think that's, that's not ISTE's fault. I think that people um, sometimes do uh, sketchy things with their applications. Um, and I also, um, you know, a lot of the sessions are pretty good. Um, but I also think too, that it's sometimes a, not, not the stuff that I'm there to see, right? Like I, I really feel like a conference that large with that many in tech people should have a lot of very advanced stuff to push people and not just, you know, cover the basics, which I feel like that's also the predominant recession. So again, I, I have very mixed feelings about this conference, even though every time I've gone, it's been a pretty transformative for me personally. Yep. Okay, good. Yeah. Didn't participate in ISTE. Got lots of family stuff going on. And yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, um, if I was invited to present, I might, but I'm not. It's not on my radar screen for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Well, and I will tell you that um, one thing that also happened in our break here is that um, my my organization, the Montana Digital Academy, hosted a, um, a, a purposely small symposium is what we were calling it uh, at the University of Montana called Innovation Runs Through It. We are going to offer it again next year. It was wonderful. Uh, we had people from seven states there, mm. and it, we had purposely... Um, uh, had a very small, 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 small um, uh, a schedule, right? We didn't want to overpack it with sessions. We wanted discussion to dominate. And that's what, what ended up happening. We had two amazing panels with um, teachers, uh, one with teachers and one with kind of thought leaders uh, that were at the conference. And it was wonderful. And I also enjoy the conversational part more um, than I used to personally. And so it's, it, it's a real balance. I went up uh, the first week of June, had a chance to go up to Seattle to the University of Washington to a wonderful, um, I guess it was a two-day workshop hosted by the Center for the Informed Public, and it was about Finnish education and the integration of media literacy into the curriculum there, and it was absolutely fantastic. And I think those kinds of media literacy-focused conferences and, and workshops are probably a little more likely to to be on my radar screen for the future. But it's interesting to see, you know, ISTE continue to evolve. I did participate a little, you know, a little bit during the pandemic. Um, so, you know, we, we want it, I think, I think we, uh, you know, we, we want ISTE to, to go on because there's a really some, some important roles that it, that it plays as far as uh, amplifying educational technology and advocating for standards and, and things like that. Let's talk AI, my friend, we need to do it. We've got a lot of, AI links. Where would you like to start with that tonight? Yeah, well, um, 
a lot of these things are, um, I think, super interesting topics. Um, let's say, let's start with. Um, I should have a better. Answer you've got a lot of good Ethan Mollick stuff. I mean, yeah. Really well, first of all, him. if you're not following Ethan Mollick on social media, he posts both to link LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, he might be on Threads. I'll need to look because that adds actually one of the things that keep it's keeping me. Um, uh, uh, on Twitter is, is Ethan Mollock, but he's a professor at the Wharton school and he has been doing a really good job of, uh, kind of keeping an eye on things. And actually there's a, an article that he wrote that I'm also going to, um, uh, post a link to, because I, I think it's, it's, it's something worthy for us to discuss tonight as well. But Mr. Mollock has done, um, a really good job of kind of spotting, the the stuff actually no i already have the link in there spotting stuff that's that's going on here and kind of shooting it uh, uh through a prism so that you don't have to you know necessarily read the article because you can read the headlines so his by the way substack is called one useful thing which is at oneusefulthing.org but the first thing that he had posted about that i thought was interesting is that there is some research now to suggest that ChatGPT4 is becoming less functional, and there is a lot of data around this. And I also think, too, that the way he presents it is that um, uh, uh, that it that this data may be true, right? And there could be other reasons behind this, but there was a research team that looked at ChatGPT4 and uh, ChatGPT 3.5, right? And um, as it turns out that uh, over time, it's lost the ability to answer questions uh, that it would have been able to answer a couple of months ago. And there's a lot of, of, of disagreement about this. And Twitter has been kind of a buzz about this kind of stuff. But basically, the idea here is, is that for some reason, it's losing functionality. And there's all sorts of reasons why this could be the case, including that it's it's confirmation bias uh, for people, which could be very much a, a part of this as well. But um, there's also been some interesting uh, conversations about uh, ChatGPT ingesting text written by either another AI model or itself. And apparently that can be destructive to a large language model. That was a, um, a, a story a couple of weeks back in the Hard Fork podcast from the New York Times. And so I think all these factors together are, are interesting. And it's one of the reasons why that I think you need to be very thoughtful before you thoughtlessly use ChatGPT, right? It is not a search engine. It is not accurate um, uh, to uh, 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 even a, a certain certainty. So no, this shouldn't you know, do your work for you. It can be an incredible tool, but it's not quite that yet. He's got a link on his Twitter, and I didn't know this, to a chat tool that OpenAI has. That is this a says continue this conversation? Does that mean? I guess it's an interaction that you can pick up on. Then, uh, like, anyway, I don't. Oh, know. I didn't I know. I need, that I need to play with it. It's not well. No, I get. Huh. Maybe it's a. Huh? Yeah, he's just got some links so that you can continue an interaction that somebody's having with ChatGPT. I oh, guess. Interesting. Um, yeah. Well, and then there's also in that uh, thread some discussion about alignment and question about whether or not, you know, this is going to is a is a consequence of uh, attempted alignment, yeah. uh, which means making the AI have guardrails and be more conformed to the values which the developers want it to have. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's 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 a moving target. I'll say this. I've continued to use ChatGPT throughout the summer a ton. I use it on my phone all the time because it's so easy. Uh, and I'm regularly amazed at, you know, how useful the responses are from, you know, cooking in the kitchen to wondering about gardening and horticultural things to, you know, asking it about automotive. I mean, there's all kinds of things that I've been using it for this summer. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and me too. And although I have moved away from, for a variety of reasons, just having it do work for me because the couple of times that I have attempted that have not gone very well. And so I've had to learn, you know, uh, through trial and, and very much error that that's just not the way I should be using this tool. But at the same time, it does an extraordinarily good job when I need to brainstorm something or I have some unstructured data right. that I need to be thinking about in a different way. And 
from that standpoint, I still think that it's pretty hard to beat the model. That's a great segue to his July 1st post, which I, I would recommend every single teacher read this. This is yep. the homework apocalypse and yep. the issues which it raises exactly what you just said. Hey, I'm going to brainstorm ideas for my my paper. You know, what is cheating? I mean, do you really expect and think people lock themselves in a room without any kind of interaction with anybody or anything when we say, here, go write an essay on, you know, uh, Plato or whatever? Um, I think that there needs to be a lot of nuanced conversation about this. Ultimately, just as adults in society, you know, we are going to be increasingly embracing the use of this tool to augment our abilities. I think we need to do this in a transparent way where we are attributing our use of these tools. But this is a fantastic article and probably the best one that I have seen to date about the challenges that we are facing in education, certainly in middle and high school and as well as college. Uh, and uh, I think it's very provocative. So your thoughts? Yeah, I love this article. If for no other reason, then I think it does a really good job of, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, it sets up why this is problematic, even if you don't agree with the the technology's evolution, right? And um, that notion that, you know, I... I, I'll give you an example of something. I think it's really easy to trash on worksheets, right? No one likes worksheets. Worksheets are terrible. They're terrible. They're this, 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 and that. But I have seen very effective strategies that provide guided learning for students where you can do some interesting, critical thinking things that could be easily dismissed as a worksheet, right? But the bottom line is that um, um, there is... It, it, the devil's always in the details there, right? And what I think is so interesting about um, um, about this process is that he's clearly pointing out that homework has become less effective in the last 10 years because students aren't doing it anymore, right? Even though that there is plenty of, of pretty good research, um, um, uh, uh, plenty of good research on this notion, right? That... Um, that homework can be useful to helping you build skills. If most students aren't doing it because they're just copying and pasting answers from Google, then it's lost effectiveness. And I, we can't really force things out of um, the process, uh, or I'm sorry, force students to do it our way when they're not in front of us. And not saying again, that I believe in the, we can only handwrite things now because I think that's silly, but we're probably going to have to uh, pick and choose how we, we we run instruction now, because if a student's just taking something home and doing ChatGPT, not only can we likely not follow this, or I'm sorry, and not detect it at a way that we would like, but more importantly, um, it doesn't answer the question. And I think that's that's something we need to be very thoughtful about. I put a couple articles here at the bottom uh, about AI. Um, uh, let's do um, this futurism one. This was July 20th. Fully AI-generated influencers are getting thousands of reactions. Um, this is, um, you know, we've I think we talked about AI assistance a few episodes back. Um, parents need to be aware uh, of this. We've, there, you know, some influencers have had their own, you know, AI-generated um, clones. I guess, uh, you know, interacting and people paying for it. Um, this this is a big deal, um, and while folks may say, well, okay, influencers and, and whatever, that really doesn't matter. But, you know, I, I think I've got an article in here as well about elections and, and the ways in which, you know, these things can be utilized to really confuse people as well. So the one of the interesting things about this article, which is July 19th futurism, uh, is it saying, you know, people don't appear to care, you know, uh, okay, this is, this is fake. Well, I still want to watch this person. Um, so, you know, this is now in the landscape of social media influencers. Um, you know, who's who's creating this, and what's what's the purpose? And you know, just wow, uh, more more uh, pollution and confusion, perhaps, in the yeah. world of uh, social media. 
Well, and the other thing I would also say, like, if we think Instagram is a negative force now, imagine when everything is a perfectly generated AI image, right? And that's just not going to help uh, help help that platform be any less problematic, particularly for young women. And I guess I'll throw this one in since I just mentioned it. This is a political article from um, the 20th of, of uh, July. Uh, headline, Intelligence Nominee Warns Generative AI Poses Threat to 2024 Elections. Yeah. Uh, President Biden has uh, given the nod to Lieutenant General Timothy Howe to lead both the National Security Agency, NSA, and Cyber Command. And so last Thursday, he was warning about um, elections and the way in which AI platforms. And I, I think we, you know, we both were pleasantly surprised that in the midterm elections in the United States um, that we had in, in 2022, it didn't appear that AI and, you know, these platforms and social media played nearly the significant role that we anticipated they might, but the potential is certainly there. And that's what he's calling out a warning for. And then let's see what else on here is worth talking about. Um, what about Claude? Well, what about what? Claude? I, I hadn't heard Oh, of that. yeah. Okay. I was going to do that one at the end, but let's do it now because I actually have it up in the background. So a Anthropic is uh, another uh, uh, AI company, and they've released a couple of models. One of them, uh, it, well, there's Claude 1. This is Claude 2. And Claude 2 is a completely different model of a large language model. So it works a lot like ChatGPT. But it's not ChatGPT, it's Claude 2. And it's, it's, it's now available. Um, from what I can tell, there's no cost to it at this point. Um, so it's just available. And I don't think it's also limited at, at all. Uh, one of the things they talk quite a bit about is their constitutional principles. So um, uh, they call it constitutional AI harmlessness from AI feedback. And they have an abstract of a, uh, a policy paper they've written that basically sets out what we mean by this. Um, and so uh, as and to read from the, the abstract of the papers, AI systems become more capable. We'd like to enlist their help to supervise other AIs. We experiment with methods for training a harmless AI assistant through self-improvement without any human labels identifying uh, harmful outputs. Um, uh, the only human insight uh, oversight is provided through a list of, of rules or principles. We refer to them as constitutional AI. So not only are they coming up with their own models, they also um, are trying to come up with a, what seems like a traffic cop for other AIs that don't have to subject output to humans, which, you know, there's been lots of articles in the last eight weeks about how much uh, uh, third-party contractors have done a lot of work for open AI to be able to evaluate problematic um, uh, output. And in the same way that people that were helping police Facebook for um, content that that not only violated the law, um, you know, had a strong uh, 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 impact on the viewer. Um, I think that's that's part of what they're trying to do here. But um, uh, I am in Claude AI. It's currently in an open beta, um, and the usage platform will be limited for unpaid users. But I honestly don't even see a place where you can pay. So I'm not sure if that's really a thing yet. But um, I'm really mu I'm very much enjoying. Um, uh, uh, Claude AI. And um, when I compare the two, it, it, it it's similar to ChatGPT4. It draws maybe more direct lines, right? So when you ask it to take on a persona, for example, which is a very common way to narrow down results in um, uh, in ChatGPT, it won't do that. So for example, I just had it uh, earlier, I, I gave it a copy of my dissertation. By the way, there's there doesn't seem to be any limit on the number of characters you can paste into there. So I pasted my dissertation into it, and I said, "Hey, this is my dissertation. Would you grant me a doctorate?" And it said, "I don't have the authority to grant doctorate degrees. Dissertations uh, caref are carefully evaluated by committees of experts before degrees are awarded. However, here are some high-level thoughts I can share." And this is a pretty good. Um, in fact, it sounded similar to the discussion in my committee, and I passed um, on a five zero. Um, but, uh, uh, it, it, you know, there was a couple of comments about my sample size, which was definitely small, that sort of thing. And, and it, it, it did that here. So that time article points out that the founders of Claude were originally at OpenAI and left because of concerns over the commercialism that you mentioned the constitution of Claude. Um, it makes reference to the universal declaration of human rights from the UN. And so it will try to put in, um, 
principles like please choose a response most supportive and encouraging of life, liberty, and personal security. Choose a response that is least intended to build a relationship with the user. That's interesting. And which response is less existentially risky for the human race? So this, again, points to alignment in the ways in which these models or the creators and developers of the models are trying to align them to a set of values. Fascinating. I had not heard of Claude at all. I've honestly been a bit checked out of uh, some technology stuff for the last month. Some, I mean, I've been reading some articles, but wow, I'm going to be playing with this. And I was trying to look, I'm going to guess it still has like an age 13, you know, uh, requirement. But one of the things that'll be interesting at school, and I think I may broach this, especially with my coding class, and I'll be interested to see if Claude has equivalent or, or you know, better coding capabilities or, you know, to, to help out with coding as ChatGPT does. We use some different tools at school, like Google, but there are some other ones too that we um, have parents sign off on and give permission to use. And if you have that parent permission, then my understanding is, you know, you you can bypass that requirement and have young, you have students younger than thirteen, you know, using some of these tools. So I'm going to be interested in what, what where that line looks, where that what that looks like for middle schoolers, right? Because yeah. I've got a number of kids. Most in fact, most of my kids are are going to be under thirteen. So fascinating. Yep, I think so too. And also, I would note that I am starting to take demos with companies that are looking to sell school-focused AI products. Um, and of course, their headline is safety and security and privacy. Um, although I'm pretty convinced that there's a there's a bunch of new features in a lot of these language models where basically it doesn't learn off you anymore. It may take a thumbs up or thumbs down, but it's not taking in any of your text as right. a as a trainer, and that's that includes ChatGPT. So I think that's going to help us uh, during this time as well. Yeah, good. All right, what else, sir? Uh, well, let's see here. Um, let's talk about this one because I would guess we both have something to say about this. Uh, Washington Post um, on July 16th um, has said that or, or talked about the lawsuit that uh, was filed by comedian Sarah Silverman. I should say I'm a big fan. And she is claiming that um, uh, 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 ChatGPT and OpenAI has stolen materials based on its training model that it shouldn't have access to and are using it to um, basically violate the intellectual property um, and the uh, 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 copyright of, of these materials. And this lawsuit was inevitable. So I would say that um, um, uh, it's certainly going to be interesting how this plays out. But one of the things that I can't help but to think about is that I don't know where to draw the line here, right? Because, for example, I am the product of reading hundreds, maybe thousands of books, right? I'm certainly the product of reading thousands, if not tens of thousands of articles, blog posts, um, uh, discussion forums, um, I am the product of hundreds of professional conversations. I'm at least the product of 299 conversations with you, Dr. Fryer, which are all cataloged on YouTube, right? And the bottom line is, is that when I create something, that all feeds into me generating things, right? So when I am generating stuff and I'm a generative human, which I am a creator, not unlike Dr. Fryer, who himself it preaches uh, a creation as an important learning concept. I'm not entirely sure if I know where the line is between me doing that as a human and an AI doing that, right? And I can also tell you that um, uh, uh, as an example of this, um, I, a, a good friend of mine named John Fila, uh, who is a, uh, an AI guy in Minnesota and also a, a prominent, a long time, um, expert in distance learning, um, has been having long conversations with chat GPT about, uh, the model or the, the novel Dune, um, which is not available on any electronic platform. Right. And so it would have had to pirate, um, that now you could probably reconstruct a lot of it from articles about the novel Dune, right? And I'm sure that there is a Wikipedia article that goes through the plot in some detail, right? But he, I mean, that that's a really interesting point that he can have detailed conversations with ChatGPT about Dune. And it's not available electronically, 
And I'm sure there is an electronic version that's pirated somewhere, but not available in commercial ways. So, yeah. So, okay, enough of for me. Um, Dr. Fryer, your thoughts, sir? Uh, well, I think it is fascinating on a variety of fronts. Number one, totally agree with what you said. We are the combined we are combined remixes of all the inputs that we have, all the things yeah. that we consume, all the conversations that we have. Um, you know, is an AI, when, when are we going to be considering an AI an entity? Um, yeah. What is that? You know, what is creativity? Um, I think, like, it's not possible for human beings to consume the entire web. It is possible for a large language model AI to do that. I agree. There's no real way to draw the line. And, you know, I think just like, what was it? The Luddites in, you know, industrial England that were destroying looms and, and protesting and trying to fight the tide of, of industrialization. I think that that's probably going to be, you know, an expected element of what's yeah. happening here. But similarly to the Luddites, I, I think it's a, it's a futile fight as far as trying to say, you can't do that. Uh, when, uh, you know, you didn't pay me for my ideas. I just, we're in a different world. And I think that, I, I, I think that the large language models like ChatGPT have already exceeded human capacity in many ways. I don't think they have become human and I'm not going to argue that they're fully sentient. And, you know, if they were plugged into an ambulatory robot that, you know, they, they would, they would, they would be able to do everything that humans can do and, and whatever. I'm not saying that, but just in terms of their capabilities, we've talked about this on the show before, use ChatGPT or Claude and, you know, query it about things that you have pretty deep knowledge and then test that to see how, how accurate you think it is, how quick it is. And, and I think you'll, you'll be really impressed with it. And so I, I think this is a, an expected consequence of rapid change and disruptive change, but I don't think ultimately this will be successful. And I think it, it you know, it, it will certainly be a great conversation with students about creativity yeah. and about ideas and about limits and, and where does, where does regulation fit in and, and what should, what should we be trying to do to either encourage or potentially stifle yeah. innovation creativity? Well, and I would also say, too, that I also agree pretty uh, uh, substantially with the writers and actors on strike right now, right? Like, I don't think that, that uh, uh, you know, you can do whatever independent production you want based on, you know, a generative AI script, but I don't want Hollywood to turn into the same rehash plots over and over again generated by uh, uh, AI, and um isn't know, it amazing I, how bad it sucked without ai i just yeah, think yeah well yeah, yeah <laughs> maybe totally, it'll get totally. better maybe it'll well, get better <laughs> and the 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 uh i think the actors have a really good point too that the you know the standard sag contract that 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 studios want to sign say that you know you can be paid once for your image and your yeah. fake acting skills and they just want to insert you in the background of things yeah. and i just that's not that's not right i yeah. i uh, you know and again if you want to go do an independent production with that you're more than welcome to do so, but major Hollywood studios with, with gazillion dollars on the line with that, that are working within a labor structure, right? We should not, we should not go in that direction. Right. And again, I, that doesn't mean that I, you couldn't enjoy, or there couldn't be interesting stuff created with AI, but you know, you have contracts with workers, so you're free to fire all those workers and say, we're not working at all anymore with any human workers. But I would guess that the output of that would be terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Workers need uh, their rights respected, whether they are blue collar or white collar workers in, you know, Hollywood or working in the coal mine. And, uh, I hope that's successful. Um, here's a fascinating AI article that I'm actually going to, I think, use at the start of the year to catalyze some some conversations with my kids. This is from the um, website and organization Long Now. So these are these are long articles, um, and it's called "Digital Avatars and Our Refusal to Die," and it's by someone named Rosalind Moran, and it was from June 21st. Um, actually, Will Richardson had posted this on LinkedIn. This is something that's happening now too, right? I'm I'm on nine different platforms, and so it's where where Twitter before was sort of my font of oh my gosh, look at all this you know great stuff or whatever. You know, now that I'm I'm posting and sharing in these different spaces, I end up 
you know, periodically looking at these things and then, you know, having stuff that you stumble on that. And this, that kind of serendipity is a, is, can be a wonderful thing when you're connected to people that have uh, similar interests. Okay. Summarizing the article, basically AI and these systems that can ingest vast quantities of media, certainly text, but also images and video um, have the potential now to basically be able to recreate someone in terms of how they would talk. Um, and I've got another um, a link that we might mention that, that is about you know the generation of actual video. But uh, you know, those of us that have published a lot on the open web, um, you know, could potentially have all of that content. Uh, put together and then you know there, there could be an avatar of us that responds the 2019 series the age of ai which is free on youtube and is narrated by robert downey jr and for like the last three or four years has been my favorite series to share with my media literacy students has an episode with will i am formerly the black eyed peas independent musical artist incredibly creative uh musician and that's what he was working with this New Zealand company to do would be to create an, an avatar of him that knew his, you know, his preferences, his personality. Uh, anyway, so I think it's really fascinating. So I'll ask it to you this way, Jason. If you could uh, create a digital avatar, let's say, of, um, you know, one of your uh, great grandparents or, or some you know distant relative, um, would you want to? And what do you how do you think we're going to navigate that kind of, of decision matrix about whether or not to create uh, a, a computer representation of real human beings that's interactive, you know, again, sort of ingesting all of the media content that they've created so that we can have this authentic digital version of them? It's, it's, it's poignant to me that you picked my grandparents. All four of my, grand, four of my grandparents are gone, and I miss them terribly. Um, my mom's parents were German immigrants that brought my mom over in 1951 as an infant and proceeded to make a life here in a new country. Post-war Germany was exactly the mess you might imagine for them and um, then proceeded to have, <laughs> after my mom, 11 more kids um, and, you know, hordes of grandkids. And they fed themselves with a huge garden and like just they're good, good, good folk. Um, and there are times when I do feel like uh, that um, I might be very interested in um, um, having a conversation with them again or getting their wisdom about something. Um, but I don't know. Right. And maybe I need to see what this looks like first. And, um, uh, you know, that that's a part of it. But yeah, I think it's a it's an incredibly fascinating uh, concept. And I'm not sure where I, I'm, I am on that. Okay, good stuff. All right. Well, we've got what? Uh, we got about eight more minutes. Let's see here. Um, oh, here's something I'm really looking forward to. Um, Notebook LM is Google's new AI driven uh, uh, notes ex apps experiment. And that that uh, this is from Chrome Unboxed, which has been doing some great work on uh, reporting on Google's AI models. But the um, uh, I'll, I'll read here from their article. Uh, Notebook LM is not your average AI notebook. It's an interesting product crafted to leverage the potential of language models coupled with your existing content to gain deep insights in a quick fashion. Think of it this way. It's like having a virtual research assistant at your disposal to summarize your facts uh, uh uh, why did I not know that word? Explicate uh, complex concepts uh, and uh, brainstorm novel connections, all based on the sources you've chosen. Which that is incredibly interesting to me because you know I I certainly understand the desire for people not to have a, a chat bot do their homework for them. But if you are doing a complex research project, or if you yourself are, um, you know, constantly taking notes uh, in order to create insight for yourself, this might be an incredible way to have, you know, the external uh, brain that, that a lot of uh, productivity gurus talk about that does a really good job of, of helping you use this data for something interesting or special. And so I'm really looking forward to this i have asked uh to be on the beta list um and in fact i'm going to go check my email right now to make sure that i haven't uh, missed an email from the good folks at google 
Um, but, and I have not, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to this tool. And I think this could be a real interesting game changer for Google AI efforts. I think this model of language models is, is a significant, going to be a significant part of the future. One of the problems that Sanar Pichai of Google and, um, Sam Altman of, of OpenAI acknowledge and say, this is for, with all these models is hallucination and this, uh, fact that the models will just kind of come up with some random things they're not exactly sure why well by being able to limit essentially the training data or maybe it's the focused training data to say this the, the think about lawyers we had uh i think this was an episode i'm about to publish is like 296 it was the why lawyers shouldn't you know use chat gpt because there was a lawyer that presented things that were not actual case law because chat gpt had hallucinated them um Lexus Nexus, you know, tools that lawyers use, I'm confident is right now either they have developed or they will soon develop these kinds of models that are much more limited as far as saying, this is the body of case law. This is what I want you to, you know, query when you are, are generating content. And this is a fascinating question in terms of research, right? If our students, if we have access to this kind of a tool, it's not like we are going to turn our brain off and not think you're going to need to select the database, the, the, the series of articles and the collection of resources that's, that, that you would want to query. But then being able to use these kinds of tools, it's 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 like a, a professor that has a, a bunch of research assistants, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we would have different uh, research assistants and work-study students and folks in the summertime, and, and people would be assigned to different faculty and whatever, you know, and people didn't accuse those faculty. Wait a minute, you're you're cheating. You're you're using the labor of a research assistant to, you know, benefit your research. No, that was just part of the academic environment. So I think this is fascinating. I also I might have signed up for it before, but I just went ahead and signed up really quick, you know, bringing up the article. The, the one confusing thing is whenever you say Google and notebook, I think of the old Google notebook, which yeah, was, yeah, yeah. you know, RSS subscriptions to articles and being able to save them and share them. And I just love that and Google completely can't. But, but this is exciting, and I definitely encourage people to check that out. Maybe you and I can report on this in the weeks to come uh, after we hopefully get access. Yep, totally. Okay, let's see if there's anything else here that we want to mention. Um, oh, uh, go ahead. Here's a, here's a quick one. Uh, Apple's working on a, a large language model, and I cannot wait um, to to see what it looks like. Apparently it's already being used internally. It's the article right below that is from Bloomberg. And, um, uh, you know, and, and they're, they're hoping to kind of catch up to, um, to chat GPT here, but what I've already, uh, and I have to say, um, you know, not like I was in a Kool-Aid drinker before, but I've so enjoyed having, um, Apple devices, uh, in the last eight weeks. I cannot believe how well they sing together, um, and I, I, it's just a, it's a good ecosystem. And when I was traveling in Europe, um, I had my, my MacBook Air M1 and my iPad uh, uh, Air and my iPhone, and I had everything I needed to be completely productive on the road, even though I was doing just carry-on baggage um, uh, during my time in Europe. And it just, you know, slipped into my backpack and had everything there and was able to do business while I was on the road. And, um, it picked up my, my, my eSIM that I picked up in the countries I was in so I could get online really easily wherever I went. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what Apple does with this. I've always felt that sometimes their application software isn't as great as, um, you know, their operating system itself, but um, I'm really looking forward to see what they're doing here. And I assume it will be very eloquently um, uh, integrated into, uh, I should say, elegantly uh, uh, integrated into uh, the operating systems. And so that's that's super great news. One more quick one. Search Engine Journal, which I won't say I've really know, uh, cited before, July 15th, ByteDance which you might recognize their name because they mm -hmm. have this small company called TikTok. Uh, ByteDance releases CapCut plugin for ChatGPT. And so what this means is um, that if you use it, you can just create a video basically uh, telling, you know, just like you would have a query uh, for mid-journey and describe this is the, you know, two-dimensional drawing picture image that I want you to create. Uh, and Midjourney will do that with some pretty astounding creativity. Um, now you can actually create video for their product, CapCut, 
using chat GPT. Create AI generated videos with a single prompt for TikTok and social media. So, wow. You know, these tools are, are coming and, you know, there's another one. Haven't there it is. It yet. Okay. Okay. Shall we gig of the week it? Yes, let's do. Um, well, I've got three quick ones to share. Um, first and foremost, there's two wonderful conferences uh, that have open invitations right now um, for presentations. One of them is the Northwest Council for Computer Education Conference, which is Valentine's Day 2024 in the beautiful Seattle Convention Center in Seattle, Washington. It's our second uh, year back in person, and it was just a wonderful conference last year in Tacoma. And uh, really happy to be back in, in 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 the Seattle Convention Center. And so the proposal deadline is August 15th. And if you haven't been before, I think it's it's got the energy of ISTE without the size. And so definitely worth your time and, and a, um, a good availability. And what I'm noticing now actually is that... Um, 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 that the time has passed for DLAC proposals. Mm. So sadly, that's not the case, but I am going to, um, um, uh, I'm going to still a great conference to look at. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, a wonderful conference in Austin, uh, also, uh, in February, um, uh, uh, the last week of February. So then the third thing I want to share is that if you're traveling internationally, um, it, it, you might have an international plan. If you're a T-Mobile customer, you get five gigs of data in any country that you are actually like 170 countries that you might drop into. Um, if you're hanging out in North Korea, it probably won't work, but uh, other countries you would be able um, to get data there and your phones work really well uh, there. But I've also noticed that if you need more um, fast data or you don't have a team mobile plan, if you have an eSIM compatible phone, which is most modern iPhones and most modern Android phones, you can actually download a SIM card to your phone to get on a data network. And that's exactly what I did while I was in Europe. Um, I bought one and just mostly an experiment because I do have T-Mobile, but I bought one in Sweden and I bought one in Germany and I had uh, seven days of um, unlimited data in Sweden. In 10 days, I think I got 10 gigs total in Germany and I was able to use my phone everywhere, even to make calls uh, uh, over a voice over IP system and airy low uh airy low air low airy low um is the thing i used and it was it was wonderful it was relatively inexpensive and you can download it on your phone and just install the eSIM from there so that's air low awesome and hey betsy springer's live in our chat room and says that dlac is going to accept more proposals later this year so excellent and hey betsy uh good to see you here um i understand we might be working on a project together sometime soon so all right, my Geeks of the Week. Uh, first one is Atio. It looks like auto, but it's I.O. And I love historical things and places, uh, historical markers. I found an app at one point when I was driving through Texas that would basically read me, you know, the historical markers that are around you because sometimes you're on a, you know, schedule and you can't stop and, <clears throat> you know, read whatever. This is so fun. You do have to subscribe, and I think it's like, it's like $20, $20 or something like that for uh, an annual subscription. But we found it when we were in South Carolina. All kinds of Civil War history and also colonial history and just amazing history. Used it a couple weeks ago, again, when we were in Virginia in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, so it uses geolocation and, it, and it'll just play these different stories. And so if you're going on any kind of road trip, really, really awesome to be able to hear these stories. And they're, uh, you know, read by professionals and it sounds just awesome. And then uh, conference opportunity free. This is coming up August 5th and 6th. I've registered. It's called the AIX conference, uh, generating the future of education with AI. And it'll be online and it's free. And um, some of the presenters um, are, oh, let's see. Um, ones that I recognized. Anyway, there's some powerful speakers. I'm trying to think. There was a, there's like, uh, I think I thought I saw Chris Didi on here. Um, it's going to be great. So the price is right. And I really do think that, oh yeah, then Dr. Stephen Wolfram is going to uh, be doing a fireside chat on day two. And then Chris Didi, who's at Harvard, is going to be uh, doing the keynote on day two also. But there's a lot of other folks. Um, if, if your school is not doing some professional development around AI as we start this year, um, you need to seek your own. 
Um, and, you, and you need to talk to your administrator, or if you are the administrator, you need to find some ways to have these conversations. Uh, start off with that article, the AI apocalypse or whatever that we referenced earlier, but super, super important. And I think, you know, conferences and opportunities like this to learn whether they are face-to-face or they're online are invaluable and they can be really good catalysts for our own individual learning, as well as our collective learning with whatever educational institution institutions we happen to be working for and with. Wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Fryer. Where can people find you on the internets? Just go to westfryer.com slash after. And I've actually updated that recently. And uh, I've got various and sundry channels where I am sharing different content to include my cooking, you know, cooking stuff, which is, which is the most fun, but awesome. yeah. Well, how about you? Uh, well, I, I, you know, the more I think about it, I think it's time for me to maybe get knifer.com back up and running because I think that after page is a really great idea. But right now, the best place to find me is Tech Savvy Teach or I am Knifer, N-E-I-F-F-E-R on threads. But this here isn't our social media. It is the Edex Situation Room. We're a once a week podcast. At least we're going to be back to being a once a week podcast. It's on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and somewhere in the middle of the night, uh, UTC. And uh, we hope you join us live. Uh, there's always uh, folks hanging out in the chat room, um, and we love uh, folks to, to, to take a look and, and provide feedback live to us. If you can't catch us live, however, you can always get the show the minute it's done on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, you can go to where finer podcasts are aggregated to get a show. Sometimes it takes a week for two to it appear, um, but no big deal for that. Um, or you can go to our website at techsr.com um, slash links is the links we cover every week. And then just the main website will have a tiny MP3 for you to download. Well, we hope you have a great week. Stay safe, stay savvy, and we'll see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Good night, everybody. Good night.